Welcome to the Reunion Belleville podcast, a place where everyday people apprentice to Jesus. We're glad you pulled up a seat and we hope that today's lead-in encourages you to take your next step. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Can I share with you one of the scariest things that I have to deal with as a pastor? It's a simple text or an email or a phone call that says, can we talk? (laughs) Those conversations, at least in my experience, for the most part mean one thing and that one thing is never a good thing. It's an upsetting thing. And what's funny is that you'd probably say the same thing if your pastor in the past came to you. Maybe some of you feel like that right now and said, can we talk? In your mind, it It's not a good thing. Some of you have trauma and I'm stirring it up, but guess what? I have trauma too. And this is a good thing. Our shared experiences, both good and bad, together place us in a position to form this community to be and to act differently. So I get it. I'm right here with you because I've met with people who are upset, disappointed, and angry about what happened or isn't happening. And for the most part, I can deal with those conversations. As your pastor, if you're upset or disappointed, by all means, let's have a conversation. Let's listen to one another and try to figure out what is and what can be. This is the hard work of community, the hard work of love. I bring this up because what is really hard to deal with in those conversations is when they begin with, Pastor, I'm only coming to you today because the Lord told me, or God made it clear to me, or God said. Those few words are like a trump card in Euchre. It's a shut down the conversation before it begins card. It's a you can't argue with God card. It's a I win card. The problem in those conversations is how can you prove it? Did God actually say it or are you just upset and using that as a defense, whatever it might be? This is why the role of a prophet is such a dangerous one. In fact, this is why scripture or the community of God has been very clear in warning the church that there's a ton of false prophets we should be weary of because you can't prove they heard from God. But for those that are legit prophets, the role is a dangerous and undesirable one because the role of a prophet, someone who does hear a word, have a dream, see a vision, or sense a movement of the Spirit, well, a legit prophet is someone who is he's not speaking to the world, but their very own community. The role of the prophet is to critique or provoke their community. In the Old Testament, there was kind of three big jobs you could do for or with God. You could be a king for God, a priest for God, or a prophet for God. Kings and priests, well, they protect or took care of God's people, and prophets... Well, they criticized or brought to light the shortcomings or worse, the national sin of God's king, priest, and people. If you could be anyone for God, prophet wouldn't make your list, which is, at least in my experience, a way to kind of sift out the false prophet from the true prophet because false prophets, well, at least the ones that I've met, they often have a sense of arrogance or entitlement, and I'd even say uh, pleasure about the conflict their critique creates. Compared to true prophets, someone from a community soaked in God's love, speaking on behalf of the Spirit, calling people back to their identity. Identity. We've all had prophetic conversations with our children. When our kids do or say something that goes against the grain of our family, be it culture, understanding, boundaries, or rhythms, we pull our kids aside and say, you're a terrible child, I can't believe you did that, go to your room. (laughs) Well, I hope you don't do that because that sounds like a false prophet. 
In fact, or on the flip side, our prophetic care for our children says, Lincoln, Finley, Sophia, or son or daughter, child, that's not who you are. That's not who we are. For example, let's use lying. We would say this to our children. We don't lie. Why? Because in this family, we value trust. I can't trust you if you lie. We tell the truth in our family because lying breaks trust. It, it breaks us. It actually pulls us apart. We're people who tell the truth because we value and we want to be trustworthy. And so, buddy, you're trustworthy. You tell the truth. It's who you are. Now, sure, that's a basic example and certainly not the full example because lying is only an action rooted in something else like fear, but we'll save those conversations for another day. Because today, I just want you to see the prophets call us back into our God-given identity as God's children who will live according to God's family boundaries and culture. And when we get outside of that family dynamic, well, prophets, they named it. They'll say to us today as they did then, your thoughts become your choices. Your choices become your habits and your habits become your character. And that character, well, it leads to a destination. Prophets warn us this path you're on, it's not leading you to God. And this isn't who you are. So turn back, come back. The word is repent, turn back. Maybe this morning, right as we launch into this kind of lead in in this next part of the conversation, maybe we should ask that prophetic question. Are our thoughts, choices, habits, and character, well, are they leading us closer to our God-given identity or away from it? It's a big question. And one we want to be intentionally asking as apprentices of Jesus. Which does beg the question, what does this whole prophetic understanding have to do with Jesus? As we follow Christ to the cross, we see Jesus take on all three of these mentioned roles. We see Jesus become a king, especially on Palm Sunday, but he spends a lot of time throughout his ministry discussing his kingdom, his community, and how it all works, and therefore how his citizens will be and behave. We see Jesus take on the role of priest. He forgives sins left, right, and center, and in both roles as king and priest, people, well, they get pretty excited. We've never seen a king or a priest like this. Jesus is good news or great news for all people, fulfilling the angel's declaration to the shepherds on the hillside at his birth. People love Jesus the king. They are drawn to Jesus the priest, but when Jesus takes on his role as a prophet, ugh, he's doing the Old Testament thing in an Old Testament way. Jesus might be a new kind of king or a new kind of priest, but he's an old school prophet and people hate it because Jesus is provoking them. Jesus is shining a light on a national sin of God's king, priest, and people, and ugh, no one likes that. And this is where we find ourselves in the story that Andrea led us through this morning. Jesus cleansing the temple. And this moment takes place the Monday after Palm Sunday. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they place the stories of Jesus' ministry in chronological order, but John does not. John is less concerned with the timeline and way more concerned with the story or the revelation of who Jesus is. So although this story takes place later, John places it early and right next to the first miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. This is interesting. I, for one, love the artistic interpretation of Jesus because in this first story, we in John chapter 2, we, we find a party a celebration, but also a problem. There's no more wine, and that means humiliation, worry, and community shame, right? We've talked about this just a few months ago. 
but we find that there's this problem. There's humiliation, worry, and community shame. But what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus does what Jesus does. He saves the day. He doesn't just make some wine. He makes the best wine, and he makes a ton of it. And he goes about it quietly, almost unwillingly. We love this story. It's amazing. Who wouldn't invite Jesus to their party? Who wouldn't want to be with water into wine Jesus? Well, I'll keep reading because John shifts hard, hard into another story where Jesus isn't making wine. He's already made a whip. He's already made a whip? At first glance, this seems to be an altogether different Jesus, a contrasting Jesus. But he's a prophetic Jesus. To give you some historical context of this story, it's Passover. And that means the streets are, are full, I mean like really full. Thousands of Israelites make the, pilgrims to, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to, and they do so to atone for their sins. And so they come carrying or bearing sacrifices of animals and grain. Now there's a bunch of terrible stuff taking place because yes, you need a sacrifice, but it needs to be the best, the best you've got. And so upon arrival, you'd go up to a, a priest or um, um, a group of rabbis and they would inspect your, your sacrifice. And if they found out it was tarnished or less than desirable, you were directed to booths where you could trade your sacrifice in for an acceptable one at, a, <laughs> of course, a cost. So you got a goat or a, <clears throat> a sheep or a bull and it's, it's got some ailment or it's got sick on the journey. And so they're like, ah, you can't do this one here. Come over here, we'll, we'll upgrade you. Now, sadly, the well-known practice of the money lenders or the changers or the salesmen was that they would take those unworthy sacrifices and they'd resell them to the next poor chap told he needed an upgrade. The whole system had become a scheme, a sham, a complete sin. What was supposed to be a place of reconciliation became a place of power, coercion, and manipulation. And we could spend, and we will some t spend some time this week discussing these injustices, but today I want to highlight the, the scope of the sin in which Jesus is protesting. And this is exactly what the temple cleansing was, a prophetic protest against how the whole temple system had devolved into a mere ritual. Ritual. It means a sequence of activities involving gestures, words, or actions. And over time, these rituals become less intentionally directed outward and therefore can't help but become inward. Let me explain. What was supposed to be acts of love for God can become self-absorbed actions for us. Sure, there were abuses, manipulations, and coercive power and oppressive actions taking place in and around the temple towards others, but Jesus' holy prophetic protest was showcasing those same abuses of manipulations, coercions, and oppressive actions taking place inside the temple towards God. The temple rituals themselves had devolved into an attitude that believed as long as we do these things in here, we can do whatever we want to whomever we want out there. Oof. As long as we say we're sorry on Sundays, we can give every reason all week long to say it again next week. Ugh. And this was especially true for priests, the leaders, the powerful, the rich, and the influential who lived weekly lives marked by oppression and injustice only to come to relax in the temple on Sabbath. And relax is exactly what Matthew reports Jesus saying. You have turned my house into a den of thieves. A den, a retreat, a place of rest and relaxation where you're safe and secure. Well, Jesus is saying you're not. 
He's protesting, not today. You are not safe today. And imagine, of all the days Jesus could have done this, he chooses to do it on a day during Passover. Thousands of people making their way into the temple, and Jesus shuts the whole thing down. He flips tables, overturns cages as birds fly and sheep and cattle run. This is not an angry moment, but a moment of holy wrath. What's the difference between wrath and anger? Wrath is often a misunderstood word. Most people think that wrath is is God's hot fire rage uh, (laughs) against people. Whereas in fact, it's actually an intense warning rooted in a desire to to uh, love and protect someone. For example, and I've shared this before, when my kids run into the street, you're gonna hear me yell. Um, And to the unknowing, to somebody else uh, living down the street, or even to my kids, it sounds like hot rage, but it's not a yell of anger, but warning. I love my children and will protect my children, and even at times that means intently communicating or even grabbing my children for the sake of their lives. It's not a reaction rooted in anger. And so anger is often when my agenda, my wants, or my hopes and dreams, they get kind of harmed or interfered with. Um, But wrath instead is a warning of protection of the things or the people that I love. And this is what we see here with Jesus. Jesus is not reacting in rage or anger, as some would argue, as he's flipping over tables. No, this is a moment that's calculated and planned. It says earlier in the story that he arrives on Passover. He goes to the temple, and on the next day he shows up with a cord, a whip. Uh, ready to to do business. And so Jesus, this isn't a, a a reaction. This is a calculated response rooted in love to save and protect a people connected to God. Just a quick word. The word cord used is the same one in the Greek used to describe the materials used to make papyrus or baskets. It's a very thin, weak, um, read. It's it's not a Roman whip. It's not a horse whip. And so Jesus shows up with an agricultural whip used to kind of like scurry animals along. You can see these being used even still today. And so at no point is Jesus using a like a full-fledged whip against people. It will say Jesus cleared them all out, both sheep and cattle. And so he's clearing out the livestock. He's not clearing out the people. But people are probably running around because now there's a bunch of animals flying all over the place. But Jesus is not responding in anger towards people or even the, the sacrifices. He's a, having a moment of holy wrath where he's stepping in to protect and to stop things that are leading to a destructive, on a destructive path. In fact, that's what he says later on in the story. He's like 40 years from now, this is going to be, or not 40, he doesn't give a date. But he says later the temple is going to just, this is all going to be gone. And sure enough, within the next 40 years, it is. Because people did not heed the warning. They did not stop their abuses. Jesus' prophetic protest in this moment and message to his people is is pretty clear. This is not who you are. This is not what we do because what is supposed to happen in here ought to happen what ought to impact, sorry, what happens out there. We like to say our upward relationship with God ought to impact our outward relationship in lifestyle with others. And it's because the people had treated their relationship with God like a ritual, in essence, This gave them power or permission to treat others the same way. How they treated God was witnessed in how they began to treat others. And Jesus says, no, not today. It's got to stop right now. This is not who you are. This is not how we act. This is not right. Stop. 
What a contrast to the Jesus we meet at the wedding. But here's the beauty of John's message. In both cases, Jesus is just being Jesus. The challenge is that we cannot have one image of Jesus without the other. Many want Jesus at the party, but heaven help us, he shows up in our den. Many desire Jesus the king and the priest, but have no place for Jesus the prophet. And because of that, many walk away or never really engage Jesus to begin with. People love King Jesus, celebrate the priest, but have no place for the prophet. But here's the flip side. It's exciting to pray for God to flip the tables of the oppressor out there. But here at Reunion, we're learning to submit our lives to the prophet in here, in our own lives. It's easy to point the finger, but the challenge of an apprentice is to look in the mirror. And so in closing, are we falling into ritual? Are we going through the motions? Are we approaching Sunday gatherings, the communion table, or any other aspect of our apprenticeship as a, see, I did this with zero intent to allow our connection to God to transform our love for others? Ugh. Last week we said with joy. We said it absolutely with joy. God doesn't love me because of what I do. God loves me because of who I am. So who are you? You are a child of God who brings great joy to your heavenly father. You are in the family of God. The prophetic challenge of Jesus today is, as it was then, act as, you, eh, <laughs> act as true children of your Father in heaven. Jesus' challenge is, act as true children of your Father in heaven. Those are Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. They're not mine. And so is there anything in our lives that Jesus might flip over? He's not angry. He's warning us. He's loving us. Repent. Come back. That's not who you are. That's not who we are. What is God saying to you this morning and how will you respond? Thank you for listening to today's lead-in. We pray that you were able to learn something about Jesus today, but equally important, we pray that you sense a step you might take in response. What would it look like for you to live with Jesus today in light of our discussion. You can learn more about our community at www.reunionbelleville.com and we're always here to walk with you.